You are listening to It's Midnight Somewhere with DJs Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland. It's midnight somewhere. It's midnight. It's midnight Hi, this is Mistress McCutcheon coming to you from downtown Toronto. And of course, I am accompanied by my partner in crime, The Wasteland. Who is coming to you from inside the house. It's inside the house. (laughs) We're just going to keep leaning into horror because fucking horror, man. Especially 80s horror. I, I will take fake horror because it seems to be a good coping mechanism over the real horror that is our life right now. How how you doing with that pile of movies I lent you? <laughs> oh, I got to keep working on it. <laughs> For today's episode, we are here to discuss the enigmatic and iconic figure Klaus Nomi. Kristen Hoffman of the East Village Eye, which was a cultural magazine published from May of 1979 until January of 1987, had once described him as a medieval interpretation of the 21st century via Berlin in 1929. Klaus Nomi was born as Klaus Sperber in January 24th, 1944, in the southernmost district of Bavaria in the German Alps. Klaus worked as an usher in the Deutsche Opera in West Berlin and would often, after performances, he would serenade his co-workers on stage. It was reported how he practiced and rehearsed at the time. Klaus also sang operatic arias in the late 60s at a gay discotheque on Kleistrasse called the Kleist Casino, which was often called the Casey for short. This club was a landmark gay club that was founded in 1921 and was open up until 2002. His favorite singers were Elvis Presley and Maria Callas. This is where it starts to get interesting. 1972, Nomi moves to New York City because that's what you would do at that time if you wanted to make it anywhere as any kind of artist, I think. And he worked as a pastry chef primarily. There's a video from Cable Access TV of him sharing his lime tart recipe and <laughs> going through it all by himself. It's it's actually pretty cool if you could find it. Yeah, apparently he was a self-taught pastry chef. Which is a big deal, actually. <laughs> pastry chefs are like cooking, there's no rules. You can make it all to taste, but like baking is science. <laughs> very, very true. He had also posed as a mannequin in the window of Fiorucci, which was a store on East 59th Street that celebrated the new wave from 1976 until it closed its doors in 1984. This was also the location where Nomi would meet Joey Arias, uh, who he worked with later on for their appearance with David Bowie on SNL. Joey Arias was one of the, the main stylists and sales clerks at Fiorucci. And it was during this time that he connects with the art scene in the East Village, because clearly, if you lived in the East Village, I think at almost any time you've connected with some sort of art scene. You'd know better than I. You lived in the area. Well, it's funny, too, because in talking about Klaus Nomi, 
this is a specific time period where a lot of art was happening. And you just have to think about what was happening in New York in general, because in the late 70s, the city was bankrupt. There was a lot of turmoil happening, a lot of crime, a lot of people in poverty. The Bronx was burning and various movements were rising. We had the rise of punk, the rise of hip hop, the rise of disco during this era. And if you think about the other there are artists who are active during this time period. We can also talk about Keith Haring and Basquiat and Andy Warhol. And here was Klaus Nomi connecting with the New Wave Vaudeville. Now, if you're not familiar, New Wave Vaudeville was kind of a variety show. It was held at Irving Plaza in New York City, which, as far as I know, still stands today. A uh, pandemic might, I don't know. But, uh, it's uh, a fairly sizable venue, actually, and they would have all kinds of people doing different vaudeville acts. It was like a common variety show, and they were, I don't think, prepared for the first time Klaus took the stage. Now, there's video of this on YouTube. It's pretty well uh, established there, so if if you're interested, you could go check it out, but it was like you had all these people doing silly gags and things, and then he comes out like he's from another planet, and, and just shocked everyone. Yeah, and he's in this plastic sort of raincoat getup, and again, his look is so distinctive, he really leaned into, made use of his receding hairline, and the makeup was so stark, and so just sharp and geometric and here he is on stage in 1978 at Irving Plaza giving his first performance and people thought that he was lip syncing that it was a recording and couldn't believe that that was actually his voice so it's during this time that Klaus starts using the last name Nomi which is an anagram of Omni which was a science fiction magazine that was published by the same publishing house that did Penthouse uh <laughs> <laughs> he And you could very much find that he was a fan of science fiction in his look and presentation and the theatrics on stage and really leveraged that. It was something different in the new wave scene where you have the talking heads are out there in suits a lot of the time and you got the B-52s with their the big beehive. And then here comes Klaus Nomi looks like a robot from another planet. It's so amazing because that look was really shocking back then and yet it still remains so fresh today yeah yeah and and it was it was interesting because at the time whenever anybody was trying to stand out from the look they were doing like more of a shock rock thing like alice cooper and he decided to stand out with his look and then had a voice to back it up and then stands out again so it really sets him apart and puts him ahead of his time yeah truly it would be on December 15th, 1979, where alongside Joey Arias, that Klaus Nomi would appear as one of David Bowie's backup singers on SNL. David Bowie had heard so much about Klaus singing and had met Joey and Klaus at the Mud Club. Klaus liked the iconic faux tuxedo that Bowie wore so much that he had had one made for himself and wore it on the cover of his first album, that triangular plastic tux that has been come to be clearly associated with Klaus Nomi. Yeah, it's really hard to find a photograph of him not wearing it. It's it's such a calling card. Beyond his his makeup and, as you said, the stark hairdo, the, the, the um, tuxedo definitely brought the look together, tied it all together. Yeah. One of the songs that they performed on SNL that night, which also involved Klaus pulling a pink 
poodle onto the stage with the TV in it was TVC15. Let's drop that in here. Cool. performance uh, that they did with Bowie, Klaus and Joey figured that their star was on the rise and Bowie had sort of had an open promise that he'd like to work with Klaus again, but then it never came to be, which was kind of a drag. Although Klaus did release two albums. His first album was self-titled in 1981 and in 1982 he came out with Simple Man. Now Klaus had a very peculiar or different singing style at the time known as a countertenor and a countertenor is usually a male singing in uh, opera style 
with hitting more of what females would hit in the soprano range. And it, it's, it's a very unique thing and was not at all popular at the time, even in, even in opera circles. So it was what helps stand him apart along with his look. Yeah. And it's funny having that singing style paired with electronic music, which this new wave music at that time. But later in his life, he'd really lean more into singing arias. There is a really excellent documentary that is available about Klaus Nomi. We're going to make sure we link a bunch of videos because there aren't any books about Klaus Nomi, which is a real shame because as a major music and cultural icon, I was really surprised that there isn't anything written about him. But there is a documentary that is available on YouTube, as well as videos that we've previously mentioned uh, regarding him showing his lime tart recipe, as well as his debut performance at Irving Plaza. And I think one of the reasons why there aren't very many things for books is Klaus Nomi tragically died at 39 years old of AIDS. He was probably the first like well-known or at all established luminary to to die at at a time when they didn't even know what AIDS was yet. Right. Um, so since his life was cut so short, uh, it's it's evident that and he was very private that because he didn't talk about his family much. There wasn't we had difficulty finding enough content for a show on him. <laughs> In the last several months of his life, he had adopted the Baroque-style high collars for his costumes because it helped cover the outbreaks of Kaposi's sarcoma on his neck, which was one of the numerous AIDS-related diseases that Nomi developed towards the end of his life. Uh, again, it's such a it was such a uh, again it was such a time that no one knew what this was. They often referred to this as the quote-unquote gay cancer because it was prevalent among gay men, but then would spread out. And I mean, as a, as a kid growing up in the 80s, this was a big, scary thing. And there wasn't a lot of information about it. It was considered a, a gay disease until they found other people contracting the disease through blood transfusions or from sharing needles. Due to all this, Klaus Nomi died on August 6, 1983 at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City, which is actually a cancer hospital and does cancer research. It has become one of the leading uh, medical research facilities in North America, specializing in cancer, of course. But at the time, the gay cancer is a lot of their patients, the AIDS patients, were ending up in MSK. For his very last performance, you can see a very frail Klaus Nomi in that high-collared costume singing Cold Song, which was written by Henry Purcell and John Dryden. His rendition comes from the third act of the 1691 opera King Arthur. And actually, let's drop that in here. Here's Cold Song.
lot of uh, people close to Klaus, due to the people in the room and how well this performance was received when he sang particularly Cold Song, believe that this was this was the moment. This was where Klaus is going to break and he's going to be big and he's going to be out there with the biggest names in New Wave. And that was unfortunately his last performance due to his health. Many, many people didn't know until he was hospitalized. And a lot of the people who were friends with him because of the fear level, almost nobody went to visit him. And he was calling one of the members of his band when he started almost every day and would basically beg to be visited and would just cry on the phone because he was so alone and didn't believe that he had AIDS. He didn't know what it was. So all in all, very, very sad, very tragic and I think kind of mimics some of the things we're hearing with today's news, which is part of the reason why we wanted to talk about this person, because we've heard of people dying alone in hospitals before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it is very tragic in that this was the tipping point where he was about to really break and be really big. There were there were appearances and and tours that were being planned. People loved him in Paris. You could see Klaus walking down St. Mark's Place back in the day. And he was just a standout visually as well as his with his singing. So it is a real shame, but it's something that we wanted to bring to light and, and discuss uh, because he's seen as this great icon of gay culture. But I think the crossover into our culture comes with the fact that he was it comes with his his ties to New Wave. And then you can even see varying performances or representations of Klaus Nomi if you ever watch Venture Brothers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, of note, for those who uh, are wanting to find more, Klaus Nomi's first album has been reissued a couple of times lately on vinyl. Uh, it You can find it I think I found it yesterday in about one Google search for $40 Canadians, or maybe it was U.S. Either way, uh, 40 bucks is not too bad uh, for a reissue of an artist. I don't even think he ever saw pressing on vinyl or might have only seen it once back in the, you know, when he was just signed. There was one other album of his that was released posthumously uh, in 2008. Zabaktas was released. And again, you can find that on Discogs. There's there's some for sale there on CD. I think that about wraps up this episode. Again, we'll be sure to give you some video links in the show notes. And of course, you could always reach us here at on by email at it's midnight somewhere podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at It's Midnight Somewhere. You can also watch us live stream and DJ on Friday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, depending on what Friday it is. We might be going to midnight. We might be going to 2 a.m. We rotate regularly which one of us it is. And then first Friday of every month, Bandcamp Friday, we're doing it together. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, and tell all your friends. We also still have stickers available. If you'd like to grab one or two or several, go to morbidoutlook.com slash sticker. We also have buttons from our fifth anniversary of Prophecy available with Alistair Miali on them. Those you can grab at morbidoutlook.com slash buttons. And if you're not already following us on Twitch, we are also going to be more regularly doing a show called Esoterica, which is our non-dance party. 
The next one is scheduled for Wednesday, February 17th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for listening and until next time. This podcast was almost called Shitburger Dumpster Fire.